Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Aaron. Hello. So I'd like to kick things off this week by asking you guys, what have you been listening to lately? I've mostly been listening to a shit ton of Fela Kuti and uh, late John Coltrane. What about you, Darren? Hmm? Uh, you know, I got really into Animal Collective, uh, early Animal Collective, and even the m- most recent Animal Collective record, surprisingly. Wow. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, I know this might be cheating, but I was, uh, I did listen to this Rewatchables podcast for the first time. I don't know if you guys oh, heard I like that, that one. From the, re- from the ringer. Uh, I listened to, uh, the Inception episode. Do you, you guys remember that movie? Sure. Yeah. I do. yeah. Sure. I do. How are you feeling movie. about that movie now? Eight years later. Yeah, I feel kind of similar to uh, our topic today, where I feel like I ought to revisit it because in my mind it hasn't aged that well. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. I mean, I've been listening to um, this album by J Glass Dubs called Epitaph that just came out uh, last week, actually. Um, and I think it's my first. You know, I really like this album of the year of 2019. It's um, it's kind of like from the world of electronic dub, but just like so dense, it's almost shoegaze or something. It's um, it's definitely cool. But all right, having got that gotten that out of the way, let's jump into today's topic. So believe it or not, January 6th, that was just a few weeks ago, was uh, the 10th anniversary uh, of the release of Animal Collective's Meriwether Post Pavilion. And like many critics and listeners, we've decided to mark the occasion by reflecting on how well the record has held up. I think what makes this such an interesting record to revisit is the fact that, you know, calling it universally acclaimed would be a massive understatement. It was pretty much instantly declared Animal Collective's crowning achievement, a masterpiece of the 2000s, and a game changer in the world of indie music. And yet the last 10 years have been very unkind to Animal Collective in general, and Meriwether in particular. Most of the retrospectives that I saw decided it hasn't aged so well after all, and uh, it didn't really change the course of popular music as much as it seems like it should have. So I'm hoping that we can get to the bottom of this album's perplexing legacy, but let's start back at the beginning. I want to avoid spending a lot of time on background info, but do you guys remember the enormous hype leading up to Meriwether's release? Yeah, I do. Um, I remember it like leaking like a little early yeah. and stuff. And, in 2008, uh, actually, right? Yeah, I no, think. No, or no. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. It was, it, Here's the thing. The thing was, it, it actually just a couple songs leaked, and then I think they actually pushed the release date forward because it was a big mess. It released in full a little bit early, but yeah, you're right, 2008. I miss those days of uh, shit leaking early, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, those good times, good times. But the hype was there before, um, before all, I mean, anything leaked. You know what I'm talking about, Darren? I mean, I think it was mostly the fact that 2007 had been this, like, crazy um crazy year for them because they dropped strawberry jam and person pitch which were two of you know pretty much everybody thought the best albums of the year i mean you remember the hype darren oh yeah yeah definitely and i i believe it was the shows following uh strawberry jam and person pitch where they started playing like merryweather songs and i remember Mm -hmm. listening like downloading some of those like bootlegs um because you know animal collective was kind of always been known for just experimenting a lot during their live shows but uh yeah this was the first time where they it sounded like they were really working out or playing like actual new songs um you know live and i mean i was i was eating all of that up prior to the release 
Wow. So you were, you were real deep. I mean, I was, um, you know, I, I was, I mean, I want to talk about what, what kind of animal collective fans were we before? It sounds like Darren is the kind of fan that was searching out bootlegs and everything of like unreleased material. I wasn't doing that exactly, but you know, we'll talk more about it probably, but I was, you know, profoundly obsessed with <laughs> strawberry jam, but especially person pitch, um, which I thought was just the most amazing thing I had ever heard at that time. Um, I think my animal collective fandom, you know, probably went back to around the time of feels, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was, you know, just game changing for me personally. Um, of course I went back and, you know, dug through all the old stuff at that point. And, um, yeah, just, it, it just built and built, but, I, uh, but person pitch had me thinking like, these might be the great, you know, this might be the next Beatles or something like that. What about you, Dan? What kind of animal collective <laughs> fan were you? Yeah, I wasn't uh, tracking down bootlegs like Darren either, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I was like a, a moderate fan. Like I liked Strawberry Jam and like Feels, but I wasn't super, super uh, into them yet before Meriwether, really. Mm. Yeah, I was struggling to try to remember like the precise moment, but I, I'm pretty sure, Gabe, you had introduced me to that song Grass, the second song on Feels, yeah, yeah. and that was my first introduction into Animal Collective, and I... I want to say I just immediately loved it, like right from the beginning. And I think that the connection was that, um, and you mentioned this actually in our last episode that, you know, in Pitchfork was part of this, but like you almost immediately felt like you could do what Animal Collective was doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there was just this instant connection that like, wow, I'm listening to a, you know, band of my time that I feel like, you know, is doing like the weirdest shit I've ever really heard you know what i mean um i could do this type of thing and it was just instantly inspired so i dug into like you know sung sung tongues which is just the weirdest weirdest yeah. album then and it still is now even going back to it um so strawberry jam i i liked a lot but i i think i was like really like much more connected to feels you guys weren't uh big person pitch people i like i i never really yeah, I like it, but I, I've never been super into it. I, I don't love the Beach Boys and all that, so, you know, it's kind of oh. not my... Yeah, we'll, let's wow. not get started on what that. What are you doing but. on this podcast again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, I mean, person pitch for me was just, like, stunning. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think that was, like, the, the, the seal the deal moment, which was grass, because, yeah, it kind of sounded like something that I could make um, with my band, and... Well, we'll sort of keep circling back, I think, to their past stuff, but there was just something like so exciting about how, you know, the chorus is just like this burst of mm -hmm. just clipped like screams. You know, it was just if you feel like screaming, you know, on, on the, over the chorus or whatever, just do it. It just sort of was this burst of creativity. I mean, it was so exciting. So we'll keep circling back to the, the kind of old stuff, the compare and contrast. But what did you guys think about uh, Meriwether when it first dropped? I mean, I basically loved it right away. I, I I thought it was sort of unlike anything I had heard at the time, and I I just instantly loved it, you know? Yeah, I just completely consumed it. Just, I was like nonstop listening mm -hmm. to this album from the moment I got it. Um, I, I can't even remember, I cannot recall a moment thinking that I didn't like it or didn't want to listen to it or whatever. Like, th this was just the album of that year for me basically wow um <clears throat> I, I feel like i'm in the minority with, in, in that 
I, I couldn't get into it. I really struggled to connect with it, even being this absolutely obsessive Animal Collective fan. Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't like what I loved about Animal Collective. Uh, it was, <clears throat> we'll, we'll get into it, but it, it just felt dense and impenetrable to me. It, it, it didn't have like these big wow moments. Of course, something like My Girls was, um, you know, enormously catchy, but I couldn't get into it. And, you know, I want to sort of get into this, but I, I would try every couple of years to listen to it because I felt like I was missing something. And there were a good couple of years where, you know, it was just meme to death, the album that launched a thousand memes, you know, just everybody was posting this on, on Mew and stuff all the time about it's the greatest thing ever. Um, and, you know, I just always felt like I was missing out. I feel like this, these last two weeks that we decided to do this was the first time that I uh, really, really tried um, and partially succeeded. I'll, I'll leave that as a tease. But <laughs> when you guys first heard it, did it strike you as like a big change in their sound or some big forward step that everybody was proclaiming it? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, you kind of immediately pick up on it. Um, I would say at least in, you know, with my girls, because previous to this record, you know, there just wasn't a whole, like, I, I just don't feel like the Panda Bear's presence was as enormous. Um, I think that's true, yeah. Throughout the songs. And I also don't think that, like, A.V. Tear and Panda Bear were, like, singing together, like, nearly as much as they did on this on this album. So just that alone, like, they're two voices, like, coming together. And they're up front and center, right? I mean, right, they're really mixed. Right, right. It, it, it's totally different. Like, I mean, it's like a, it was almost like a total departure from you know anything before i mean strawberry jam i think had some of the the kind of feel to it but like just to go back what two years to feels i mean totally two totally different records in my opinion yeah yeah i agree i mean it it is it is pretty different from uh the previous stuff but i wasn't like this huge animal collective fan at at the time or anything um so you know it wasn't like a big change i think maybe you sort of alluded that was your problem with it gabe like i I agree that it is like a lot more dense than the other records and everything but um i don't know it just like was so uh different from other things i've heard that that it it struck me right away um but i i think i think it was a big change in in the sound I mean, especially if you go far back you know dance manatee or uh spirit they're gone you know it's a thousand percent different yeah, and we should mention, um, you know, Deacon uh, is there basically guitarist. I think they all are kind of trading instruments all the time, which was another really cool, liberating thing about oh, yeah. Animal Collective. Oh, like, yeah. they were so creative, they just play whatever's in front of them. Um, but, yeah, so Deacon, for reasons that I guess are still a little unclear, uh, just personal reasons, decided he wanted to sit out this this round, this batch of new songs, this album cycle. And so they were without their main guitarist, and that's part of the reason why they went into this very electronic, almost electropop indie sound on Merriweather. Um, So that's really strikingly different. But they also talk about how the success, and I'm not talking like commercial or critical, but just the, in their minds, uh, how much they loved Person Pitch as an album, um, really inspired them, I guess, to let to to kind of use that panda bear aesthetic in crafting these um this very new type of music. I mean, how how would you describe to somebody who had never heard this album what this album sounds like? Well, I would probably 
have to reference, you know, the Beach Boys. I'd probably reference Smile, maybe. Um, and then I would say if you've listened to like Person Pitch, because I, I think Person Pitch is like is is uh you know Panda Bear's aesthetic on steroids. I mean, it is just Panda Bear at this point, right? Um, yeah, it's that marrying into, you know, the Beach Boys melodies or the Beach Boys melodies, but also like the animal collective, you know, AV tear basically like it's, it's a, it's a really interesting blend. And I feel like it's the only time that it kind of like balances itself out where it's not too much of, you know, AV tears style. And it's not too much of Panda Bear, which would have been more on like the person pitch side, you know? And I know that if you haven't listened to those records, it's hard to describe that. But to me, that's just how it, how I make sense of it. Yeah, I think I really I think you describe it perfectly. I don't I don't know if there's anything uh, I can really add, you know. It, it's that Beach Boys married with the uh like just kind of weirdest things you you can think of, you know, electronics whatever. Uh it's just like a extra weird uh smile, pet sounds kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, but but the arrangements don't really strike me at all like the beach boys it's really these harmonies that are lush harmonies all over the record um but this the sound of it is is really strange i mean i think it's made primarily with with uh samplers and it's got a very like electronic arpeggiating synth sound but it's got a rather harsh um sound you know it sounds like these damaged almost modular synth type sounds or something or maybe you know sampled and resampled and resampled to the point where it's degraded i mean there's something really rough you know people talk about this like it's this really glittery um warm thing but i I find the sound of the synth lines that are all over this very abrasive am i alone in that no i i agree that you know there's there's definitely some abrasiveness but uh you know it is really glittery and i think that's where that you know modular synth kind of thing comes in um, but yeah, I mean, it, it gets rough and harsh at, at times, but I, I think the glitteriness kind of prevails. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, you know, it, it sounds clean, but you're, you're right that like the, at the center is this like very abrasive synth sound. And I, in fact, I think only like no more running is really the only time where things kind of settle down into mm-hmm. a, like a much quieter song. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, everything else is very loud, very upfront and center, you know, not a whole lot of like, you know, little things going on in the background that you can even tell because it's just so loud. I mean, even the drums are like buried behind yeah. the synth sound, you know? I mean, I think about the first song in the flowers where you've got these kind of glittering, um, almost sounds like a picked guitar, but run through a lot of effects. It almost sounds like something you would hear on feels. Um, and then, these pounding drums, you know, which is kind of a, like a pounding tom, which is really a trademark of Animal Collective, comes in. But then it's like overwhelmed, you know, in the part where it surges up uh, with a drum machine that has booming low end comes in and just almost like wipes out the tom yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. And then these huge like wall of just glittering synths, which again, I think are weirdly... Um, harsh in a way they're almost like uh you know damaged like a like art artified synths and um <laughs> they uh just wash over the whole thing so you know that's how i think we can keep 
you know, sort of circling back to this, but obviously this is the first record that Animal Collective did not self-produce. They actually got a producer, not somebody really well-known at all, but somebody who had worked on an en- as an engineer on stuff like Gnarls Barkley and um, like ba- some of the Bad Boy records from the 90s because <laughs> I guess they were interested in that like booming low end, which is also a, a huge part of this record. Um, but, you know, as we kind of... And you talked about the vocals, how they're more upfront. Uh, there's a there's just some bigger, more upfrontness to this record, I think, than anything that they had made before. Um, on that note, have you guys listened to this album much in the past ten years? I, I you know it lasted a, like when it came out. You know, I was listening to it a ton, and I think it lasted. I think we, me and you, Gabe, we saw them live. I think it was 2011. Yeah. And yeah, right after this album. Yeah. I was so, I was there. Or I mean no, I, saw, no, I saw them. I don't know if you I went with you guys. You went to the tour before that, like when Black Dice opened, right? Yes. Yeah, we to went to the next we'll, we'll show. Get to that, yeah. yeah, we went to the next oh, okay, show. Okay. But um but yeah, it, it basically lasted uh up until around two thousand eleven. I, I think like after that show, because at that at our show they played like all of Centipede Hurts and like right. years before, before it came out yeah it. and yeah. you know it just kind of that that's when it started to wane on me and since then you know I, i've probably popped it on but i can't really remember the last time you know since yeah. 2011 yeah no i mean to be honest i haven't listened to this record almost at all i i mentioned that the year you know it came out 2009 i listened to it a whole lot but 2010 was probably my favorite year in music and i left yeah. this album behind and i actually i just i never came back to it i never came back to this or animal collective and i mean we can get into that maybe a bit later but um i don't know I, it just kind of fell off immediately if i'm understanding you right darren for a good year or two i mean this we're talking this is one of your favorite albums like ever and then yeah. it just vanishes from your life. <laughs> Completely just vanished. Like I just, I, I don't, I don't even know. Like I, if you know, if you are an, a listener of the old metaphoric podcast, you may have heard me more than once. Like just shit on Animal Collective, <laughs> either on on air, maybe it was off air. I don't remember, but I was not afraid to just sit there and say, you know, they have aged. They're probably like the worst when it comes to like how their records have aged. Well, that's exactly what I want to get into. I mean, I think that's what makes this such a fascinating record to discuss. Why a bunch of people were talking about it. I mean, because there's there's an, an some album anniversary every single day. And um, for some reason, this one is really interesting to revisit because it went from being the best album ever to such a, this enormous backlash. So I want to get into that. But, you know, we all were tasked with uh, taking a deep dive into this album the past two weeks. How did it go? I'll, I'll be honest. At first, I, I struggled to like stop listening to the stuff I wanted to listen to right. and to get back into this, you know. Uh, and in, in fact, I was like driving, my wife and I were driving somewhere and I was complaining that I, we were listening to Fella Cootie and I was complaining that I had to listen to this record and she like wanted right. to listen to it. She still likes it and uh, like kind yeah. of forced me to. And then I got into it from there, but it, it, it was slow going for sure. But I eventually did kind of get into it. You know, I got a sense of like, you know, nostalgia for for ten years ago or whatever. You know, remembering mm-hmm. listening to this record and all. But you know, I, it's hard to tell. Like, what my enjoyment of the record was? It just like, oh, I remember enjoying this record, yeah. or was I like currently enjoying it? You know, um, 
so I, I think I, I think I was a little bit, but um, you know, it was it was, it was a bit of nostalgia happening there. What about you, Darren? Yeah, I think you said it, Dan. Uh, nostalgia was a huge factor. Um, I wasn't excited to put this record on because I hadn't really been excited or interested in listening to it in the last ten years. Um, right. But I gotta say, almost immediately when I started listening to it, I was brought back to like you know ten years ago. And mm-hmm. you know, Gabe, you know as well as I do that Animal Collective was a huge influence on you know the band that we were in. Um, uh-huh. the little collective, the, the local collective that we had <laughs> yeah. was like modeled after the idea of animal collective. Um, and it just all kind of like came pouring back in and I was like, I missed this record. Um, and then over the course, probably in the second week, you know, closer to today, I started to feel like, you know what? It's not just nostalgia. Like this, this album is actually incredible. Um, and then jumping around to like Centipede, I even listened to the record that came out last year and I was like, man, they really <laughs> fell off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I listened to earlier, their earlier records. I listened to, you know, um, uh, Panda Bear again. And I was like, this record is their very best and it, it is still uh-huh. good. And I don't know why I left it behind, but it is still wow. an amazing record. Yeah. I am uh, very surprised because when we first uh, decided to do this episode, I-, I think I just texted you guys, hey, it's the 10th anniversary, and you were both like, sucks, old news. <laughs> yeah. um, I really, uh, I-, I almost expected, and-, and so here's my thing, is that as somebody who couldn't ever really click with it, I don't know if it clicked this time, but it's the closest I've ever gotten, where I really was appreciating it a lot um you know the first couple spins i was like god i can't get into this it's like i was remembering all the reasons i couldn't and you know it's that sound i was talking about because their earlier albums i mean especially strawberry um jam if you think about it it's like you know these uh just so many different styles and sounds you know all the time changing Mm -hmm. all the time um and you know, I, I, we'll, well, I think we'll get into some of these comparisons, but, you know, I re-listened to Feels this this past week, mm-hmm. and I was like, there are, just, every track is its own world. It is mm-hmm. in, incredible. And Meriwether is very much one thing I, uh, yeah. over and over again. I agree with you, because I, I went back and I listened to Feels, uh, Strawberry Jam, Sung Tongs, and Dance Manatee. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought the same kind of thing, but I thought it... I looked at it, Meriwether, as a, as a positive. Like Meriwether feels much more like a record um, than yeah. some of those other ones. You know, the uh, some of the other ones, even you know, earlier you go, like they're a little mishmashy, and I don't know. Meriwether just seems seems like um, much more of a singular vision, which you know, I, I I love like the album as a as a giant piece, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that really stuck out when I went back to like Sung Tongs and, and Feels and everything was that the there's like a certain aesthetic to that animal, those animal collective records. Like you get this vision of like a campfire where people are just sitting around with acoustic guitars and whatever kind of instruments and mm-hmm. just doing the craziest, most experimental type of stuff with pop, you know, pop style yeah. songs. Right. And they come out incredible and like there's all these like animal themes and just i don't they're just wild and and crazy and it's fun it's totally fun 
but Meriwether just feels like it's almost you know it's it's kind of like they finally sat down and said all right we're we are going to create the most you know well-designed pop animal you know pop record in the animal collective style you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah we're going to we're going to write every song together we're we're going to harmonize as much as possible you know we're going to bring our styles together into one rather than you know taking one particular style and building a world around that then the next track doing another style and building yeah. another world yeah. you know what i mean it's got like a See, I, it's got like a maturity in that uh over some of does. the other ones it does I mean, I've got, I'm a fan personally of the kind of kitchen sink style album. Um, it's obviously not the only kind of album I like, but all my favorite albums are kind of like in the mold of uh, the Beatles White Album, where each song is its own world and there's so much to discover and you can listen to it over and over again and you find little things you never noticed before. Um, feels is, I mean, just massively diverse. There are, you know, so many styles, so many, I mean, tracks like, you know, Banshee B is like eight and a half minutes and it, you can explore that whole thing and find stuff that you've never heard before. Every single time you listen to it, Meriwether, you know, you guys talk about it like it's a positive, but I think this is what was, was preventing me a huge animal collective fan at the, at the time, uh, from getting into it because it, it is extremely cohesive. And I got to say a little bit to a fault because, Musically, every song is basically that same kind of formula of these glittering, um, super dense, super huge synths, arpeggiating synths and things, and um, these kind of booming, almost abrasive low end um, sounds. And, you know, it, it's, you know, is it just me or here, what I can't decide, right, is that it's almost stunning the way it starts. And then by the time I get to something like bluish, Guy's eyes, taste, line in a coma. It, it just is like blurring together. I, I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm losing whoa. track of where I, <laughs> I am. You know, line in a coma might yeah. be the best song on the record, man. What? No, that's that's definitely the worst. I will say. What? That's I'm I'm on team I'm on team Darren here. That's a that's a good track. Um, I I do think kind of like bluish guy's eyes taste, especially guy's eyes, like kind of blur together, and you're like, yeah, oh, I'm getting yeah. a little fatigued here. But then line in a coma kicks your shit and it's great yeah yeah. because because really the last three lying in a coma no more running brother sport it's like a you know triple threat right there yeah see yeah i'm I'm of the opinion that no more running is like a very good song but i can't like it that much because i'm so exhausted by the time i get to it because the last like three songs have all been a little dull um and they're not dull in like a they're not bad you know i'm kind of joking like lying in a coma is fine they're all fine but they, so often I think on this record, especially in these first couple songs, something you think about My Girls, the arrangement is not that special or unique, which again, which is, is new for Animal Collective to me, was new to me, that I didn't find the musical part that special. Um, but these harmonies and these vocal melodies mm-hmm. are just managing to emerge from the murk and just soar. And it almost works as a really nice um, counterpoint like you know something like my girls it's almost catchier because the music is the, you know the musical arrangement is not trying to do too much you know it's really setting the stage for these soaring melodies and a lot of those songs summertime clothes those songs are all working on that level and then you get these couple songs that i just mentioned that the melody is good but it's just not good enough to emerge from the murk 
You guys completely disagree with me? I mean, I totally disagree about anything you had to say about lying in a coma. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so, I, I agree with you on My Girls. It's actually not one of my favorite songs on this record. Um, but I, but the, the that whole like melody and that looping melody where they just repeat and repeat and repeat and they do that on like several of the songs throughout the album, I think is really cool. I think it's like a really interesting idea um and i this was actually the first time that i kind of dug into like the actual lyrics like what was actually being sung and i was almost shocked because i i I was thinking like well did i not care about this stuff in 2009 because i had no (laughs) idea what any of these songs were about i guess um you know like songs like even like my girls because like something that bothers me a little bit about you know, Panda Bear is like, he's very difficult to understand. And I know the point is not to really understand what he's, what he's singing, but uh, I, th- that song was a song that I thought I knew what he was singing. <laughs> and I was, you know, very surprised by what the actual lyrics were. And I, I don't know what was wrong with me in 2009. I well, guess I didn't care, but it, a lot of their songs, and it's actually weird. You, you mentioned it earlier just briefly, but you know, a lot of the songs on this record are about these kind of, um, I don't know, like uh, concerns about like in the world of growing up, you know, yeah. you're just well, kind of like concerned very, about like, mundane type of yeah, yeah, know. mundane things, being able to provide for your child or <laughs> right. you know something like else, that. you know, yeah, and um, and you know, brother sport has a kind of a touching um, mm-hmm. you know, his father died and he's kind of uh, urging his uh, brother to you know not be so closed up about it, um, and it's it's a real contrast to their earlier stuff, which was almost about you know, recreating childlike wonder and terror and, you know, getting inside the mind of a child. This is like Animal Collective grew up all of a sudden. Yeah, that's why, like I said earlier, like this album has like a a little bit of maturity. And I think that's why it works with the, you know, more you know put put together more more arranged kind of sound um because yeah it's funny you said that you looked at the lyrics and stuff for the first time i I did the same thing like i kept following along on genius because i realized that i really didn't know what the fuck he was saying half the time (laughs) Uh, maybe it was just because like we didn't have a good lyric website back in 2009 but uh, yeah it's true it's very true couldn't trust anything no yeah exactly because it was just like some yahoo doing it but um um (laughs) But yeah, I was I was like sort of impressed with the lyrics and stuff like brother sport, you know, my girl, all the, you know, and maybe it's that yeah. maybe it's that like I'm an adult now too, you know, so you know, yeah. maybe I've grown to the point where they, you know, they were on this record or something, but um yeah, it, I don't know. It, it it's got like this uh real maturity compared to some of the earlier stuff, yeah. It, you know? it it has like a nice a nice heart to it. Yeah. Um and yet am I I can't be the only one that thinks Every song is two minutes too long. <laughs> Some of them are. Uh, I'll give you. Almost all of them. They are all like five and a half minutes, and they just. It is. Know, a, they sound like they're gonna. It is a fifty-four minute or fifty-five minute almost record. That that is getting a little long. I, I'll agree. Not not every song is two minutes too long, but but definitely some of them are i even think i like my girls a lot i i remember like when that video first came out and stuff it's like super rad oh my god but it's it goes a little too long when it has that like it takes like three minutes to start yeah yeah Yeah. it it, like (laughs) and that you're waiting for that first like kind of switch in the song yeah once that happens banger but yeah that little first part yeah if you got rid of it i wouldn't miss it how about like um you know i I think about also frightened right it Mm -hmm. it it, it it builds in this way that's like, 
you know, it's just sort of like building and it's, it's almost, it's like a slow, you know, the first kind of like kind of slower, spookier song almost. And then it sort of crescendos in this, like, you know, are you almost frightened? And <laughs> it, it should end after that, but it's just like, no, let's just do the verse again. And we'll kind of do that whole build up a second time. I mean, it's thrilling when it happens the first time, right. the second time I know it's coming. You know? No, yeah, yeah I, I I completely agree. I I also fright. I love the like little kind of intro to it. Um, I don't know what like is making that sound, but uh, it's like really rad. But then yeah, once it once it crescendos, you're like, oh yeah, and <laughs> you know, going through it the second time is not not as great. I I, I agree with that one. But I, I there's some song like summertime clothes. I think is still too long. Two minutes too long. No, I think I think not it's a perfect running time. No, <laughs> no I it's think a, I think that song is three minute pop song. That is five and a half minutes long. <laughs> it's four and a half, but no. okay, <laughs> whatever. All right, so one minute too long. You disagree, Darren? <laughs> um, a little bit. I mean, I do think that you know, my girls. I think you've, yeah, that's a good point, and even also frighten a little bit long. But I, you know, I like I mentioned at the before, like I liked the looping and the repeating. Of yeah, things, I mean, you know? sometimes it, it works. Like. Like daily routine ends after two and a half minutes and then just kind of does this like droney singing the verse slowly thing for like seriously three and a half minutes. And at first I was like, see, this is exactly why I cannot fucking stand this record. And then <laughs> like by the end of two weeks, I was like, I actually kind of like that. <laughs> like I like getting lost in that. I feel like that's what they were going for throughout this record is these songs will be big and they'll be you know absorbing like you'll just get lost in them and you know i feel like the only time they really succeed is brother sport the outro of which i would listen to like an hour yeah remix that is the (laughs) best version of what i've been describing basically but see Mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying darren how it's like i feel like that's what they were going for with every song but a lot of the songs outstay their welcome that's the one where where you want it to go on forever yeah but it just doesn't work on the others. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it works on Summertime Clothes. I think that's a perfect song, like, through and through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like In the Flowers, really... Lovely song. I think it really... That one does it. It does yeah. one crescendo. And, and it, then yeah, it just it builds up down. so perfectly. It's perfect. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to go back to... You had, a while ago, you had just mentioned that, you know, your favorite types of album are, like, molded in the white album type of experience yeah i feel like this album is a little more of like a like an abbey road or even like a let it be in the sense that like av tear and panda bear are like the john lennon and paul mccartney you know what i mean whereas on previous records you know you'd have a very much an av tear like solo song and i mean of course the other band members are doing things but i mean he's the only one singing generally right and um you have then like the record like person pitch which i just i don't really like that much to be honest i feel like it's like wow. it's just so buried in reverb and i it's, love it it's just too much <laughs> it's too extreme um and we talk sometimes we talk about beatles records in the sense that like you know it's just so great that you have like a john song after a paul song or whatever because it just balances itself out and the the truly best beatles songs or some of the best are obviously ones where they are both very much present on the on the song so here sure i think you know the best songs and thankfully most of the songs have both of them featured on it and it just works so well because like i love panda bear's you know voice i really do but i love how like av tear comes in like underneath it and 
is adding just a whole nother like layer to even if he's like repeating lyrics or if he's trying to harmonize yeah, or whatever yeah. it is like i just think that that works so well and they just never they never come back to that in in the records after this and they weren't really doing that much before so i, I don't know why this is the one record that they seem to want to you know wanted to do this on but i i just think it works so well they do sound very very tight and i think we can transition now into trying to figure out why it was so acclaimed at the time i think part of it is the the tightness i mean this is well it was at the time i guess their most accessible record i think by a long shot um it's tight even though every song goes on too long um but the melodies (laughs) just feel crafted to perfection the they don't take any really weird detours we talked about how the vocals are up front and center and i was going to mention to your point darren um av tear was formerly like a complete madman you know Mm -hmm. he might just like on the on the course of grass if he feels like just screaming right over and over again during the hook that's what it's going to be it might actually not even happen during the hook it might just happen in the middle of the verse he might jump up like three octaves and just go into a crazy falsetto sound you know there was something like unhinged about him vocal extremism you could call it um and he doesn't do any of that on this record he's very he's like playing it real straight he's uh he's like a real grown-up songwriter um you know that i think in trying to get at why it was so acclaimed at the time but also why the backlash that might be the reason for both or part of the reason yeah i mean i think uh Darren made a good analogy. You know, this is sort of the the Abbey Road where the older ones are sort of the the White Album thing. And, I, you know, I, I don't know why that makes this one not hold up as much, but um, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say because it really did like sort of set the world, the indie world on fire in 2009. I, I think the, the accessibility of it has a huge thing to do with it, you know, um, while Strawberry Jam was like accessible, it was still weird. You know, feels definitely had weird stuff. You know, the further back you go, you know, the weirder it gets. And then this one is just like sort of. I, I feel like you know, you could play My Girls. Uh, maybe if you if you trimmed it up a little bit, you you could play My Girls just on the you know regular top forty yeah. kind of station. Um, and maybe even like summertime clothes and, and maybe maybe some other stuff. Um, I, it, I was amazed like that I was amazed to to read that this album reached number 13 on the billboard charts it was really? like surrounded by you know pink and like mariah carey and stuff huh it was a success that, a real but, success but I, yeah i think that really like kind of describes it like it, it's got the it's like sort of a crossover hit it's like one of the only experimental crossover yeah. hit records you know like r- really like what else can you can you think of that is uh i mean this level of experimentation they did this on purpose they did it on purpose don't you think uh, yeah, no, i mean they, yeah. they stepped into this yeah, I think yeah, I think the the intent was to try to clean up a bit and and tighten up to make you know a solid record you know, uh, but um, what I what I was going to ask you guys um, you know in that arg- article that we read from Pitchfork uh, it briefly mentions the fact that they may or may not have turned down a few opportunities for their songs to be licensed for commercials. Mm. Um, you know, if we were to go back and have them actually do that, do you think that that would alter the right? Like, do you think that would have pushed them from number 13 to closer to like number one or something like that? If they had just maybe tried a bit more when it came to, you know, getting the it's record out say. there, right? 
I, that's one of those things that can backfire on you, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah, you know, if they did it like, yeah, maybe this record would, would bump up to, to number 10 or number eight or something on the billboard. Cause you know, r- regular people would hear it, but I think they would lose, you know, a lot of people, the whole sellout thing, they would, they would lose a, a bit of their core audience. Um, who I think probably st- would sticks around, you know, those are the people who are listening to painting with or whatever that new record was. Yeah. And, you know, those are kind of the ones you want to keep. I think, I, I, I think it's a good move to, to not. Yeah. I mean, credibility was really important. Yeah. We'll, we'll I, especially this, in 2009. It's, it's, yeah. It's just before the, uh, Poptimist turn when selling out is not selling out. Um, <laughs> and so it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that was wise. And, you know, in trying to get back at this, why was it so acclaimed at the time and why the backlash now? And we've talked about this sort of hyper-focusing, this sort of accessibility, this, the bigness, the hugeness of the sound. I mean, the album is called, you know, Meriwether Post Pavilion, which is a large venue that they had never played at the time yeah. <laughs> uh, because they weren't big enough to play it. And they got a chance to play after this album made them, um, you know, stars. And so it's quite, you know, they're quite clear about their intentions to, um, you know, take it to the next level, right? And everything about the sound, there's stories about um, they, you know, were really interested in capturing a kind of live experience on the record to the point where they are actually like recording um, their PA system. They brought their PA into the studio, you know, which normally you wouldn't do such a thing, but they wanted it to sound like it would sound coming out of a PA. And um, and I think that's some of the abrasiveness, but also some of just the brightness of the synth sounds. I mean, they sound huge. They sound like, a, this is a, like I guess, a little before, you know, the EDM wave hit, uh, but the the synth washes are so bright and big that they would play in an outdoor stadium. You know, it'll carry. Um, I feel like all of this was intentional, and it sounds like, you know, do you guys think that that's part of the reason for the backlash? Because it's a little bit, you know, like a watered down version of Animal Collective? I, I think it gives, uh, you know, I, I read that same thing about the PA and, and everything. And it's really interesting. It's a cool idea. But I think it does kind of give it like a little dated of a feel. Because uh, because like, like you mentioned, the EDM stuff that comes after, you know, it's sort of like almost... I don't want to say it pushes it into that, but I, I think it like makes you sort of think of it, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think it like, I, I don't want anybody to get me wrong. I don't think it sounds the same, but I think it, it, it makes them very close in the way the sound sounds. Well, you know, something I was sense. thinking about, something I was thinking about that had come out around that same time. It was the year before, and that was MGMT's kids. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you guys think that there's any song on this record that is comparable to kids and that could have been as popular or is it just yeah, I, I approaching mean, that? I, I think my girls like could have been if it was a little, you know, trimmed up a little bit to get rid of the fluff. And if maybe they had done something like let it be in a commercial or, you know, something that where it just yeah. like got pushed into, uh, you know, the clubs, you know, even maybe the more like, um, undergroundish kind of close but still you know still that next level i i think them not doing that kind of stuff is what kept it f- like a level or two below that but i i think it it definitely had the potential to have yeah it. i think it did and i think it sounds a little bit of that time which is part yeah, of the reason yeah, why sure. maybe it it feels a bit dated now um so you know in in trying to analyze this backlash you know i thought a lot about it 
And initially I was thinking, you know, because I, I will be honest that, you know, I, I guess I was complaining a little bit, um, but I, f I started to really appreciate this for what it is, this album. Um, I think that there is a kind of lull in the second half, you know, whether you disagree with me or not. Um, Which I do. It, <laughs> it, um, <laughs> it, it hurts the momentum a little bit and there's kind of a sameness um, to the to the album that makes it feel like a little bit impenetrable and a little bit too long. But, you know, most of the album is really, really strong. And I think that, um, and, and transcendently so. I think that, you know, when you finish for one, one you know one example when you when you finish brother sport i think this is part of the reason for why it was so acclaimed i mean brother sport is such a rush it is such a amazing song yes that when you finish it you're pretty sure you just heard the best album ever made i mean that's how good <laughs> that song is and it just makes you want to like start it again yes. and and then that first half is so strong you know it, it like you know, so you, you right just, through. it just you might, tricks you. <laughs> yeah, you might just like keep <laughs> listening, and you're like, I'm kind of bored by half of this, but it like starts and ends so strong that I'm like <laughs> totally in. And you know, th there's something about that. But then, so then with this backlash, and I started to think, all right, is it the quality of the album? Okay, maybe it was overhyped a little bit. People are calling it like a complete masterpiece, and I think it is an interesting, bold new sound. But it's a little of its time, and it's maybe not song for song like perfectly you know flawless or anything like that but it's still a really great album um you know maybe it's the dated the, the dated quality but then i'm thinking you know i mean what do you guys think in 10 more years you know things that seem dated they don't they don't always sound dated you know i was thinking mm -hmm. about something like the, the cure's disintegration that came out in 1989 within like two years music didn't sound anything like that anymore and it must have sounded so old, you know, like, can you imagine that disintegration is like three years old and it sounds like it's from, you know, a decade <laughs> ago. Um, and, you know, so with a little time, do you think this will stop sounding dated? Now, I was thinking about that and I, I think it will stop sounding dated. I, I, I think I, I was thinking about like, this could be one of those things that in 10 years, you know, uh, our kids or something like find, and it's like an interesting sort of gem of it, you know, and I was thinking sort of like craft work, you know, like at the, when craft work first came out, you know, that was like mind blowing crazy. But you know, once like drum machines and stuff got better, it probably, you know, it probably sounded pretty dated in the like eighties or something. And then now, you know, you look back and it's amazing again. And I yeah. kind of feel like this record sort of has, um, that potential disintegrations and as another good example, like I, I feel like that probably would have been pretty dated a couple years after it, but now, you know, absolute classic, unless you ask Darren. Um, <laughs> and I, I think this one will, will do that too. You know, I, I really could see this being like one of those, uh, you know, like, like like one of those nuggets kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I kind of I kind of don't think it's it sounds like too dated. You know what I mean? Because like I mentioned, like 2010 happened, and there wasn't really a record that I recall that sounded like Merryweather. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it had sure. already like left it behind, and um, coming to it now, ten years later, uh, I don't know. I found it like almost a little refreshing i was i was very surprised that i was able to get back into like loving this record again but um you know I really well but here's wanted... the thing you you said that in the past you know a couple of years you just had this 
bad taste in your mouth right, that Animal right. Collective and Merriweather were so outdated. And not everybody is going to spend two intensive weeks listening <laughs> for a podcast, you know? So like, what is it like, what do you think, Darren? Why does it, why do people have that feeling? So this might be like a personal complaint, but like, I, I wanted to talk about the show that I went to just for a moment. Mm. Um, and so, so you guys said it was in 2011. Is that when? That's when Gabe and I went. I think yours. I think was you went the previous that. tour. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like I went before that. But you guys weren't there. No. Okay. So no. it was like an awful. It was like the worst, one of the worst shows I can remember, right? Because um, I was like so hyped, obviously, about Merriweather, and I was so excited to like listen to that record played live. You know what I mean? And I had no, I didn't really, you know, I, I kind of knew about animal collectives like tendency to experiment during live you know shows but remember when i was doing the little bootleg thing like they were actually playing their songs they were playing the songs um live so that was sort of my expectation that i'd be hearing the record and maybe a little bit of experimentation right but first you had what what was the band that you mentioned dan that opened for him black black dice black dice yeah they opened and they were they were so loud like super (laughs) duper loud that like when animal collective took the stage you you know it's like it's like when you're about to watch a film like the previews come on and they're usually not as loud but then the the film is nice and loud like i they were they weren't loud enough because they were black dice before them was so loud so so that was already a problem but then if i remember correctly and you know i may be making this up in my mind somehow but the show was terrible because they like they didn't play any any of the songs they didn't play hardly anything (laughs) off of merriweather it was just experimenting jamming just weirdness like i i was just so turned off by it and you know I now when we saw them it was the same way right and that's their style right that's their thing and like hardcore fans obviously love that sort of thing and i wonder if like people who became fans of merriweather sort of got that same sort of experience and then felt like because i distanced myself from animal collective basically right after that like after that show i was like i don't really care to listen to them you know, huh. right now. And I did not, I didn't check out Centipede. I, I hadn't listened to a single record after that. <laughs> well, we had a similar experience because, um, you know, we saw them after Merriweather and they played a bunch of like jammy stuff that nobody knew. And so everybody just stood there kind yeah. of like just staring. And right. we decided to just start jumping around and trying to make it fun. Remember this, Dan? <laughs> and uh, yeah, a couple yeah. people, a couple people were like, you knock it the fuck off. I'm trying to listen, you know, like uh, <laughs> those neck it was a bad vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad vibe. Um, but yeah, so, you know, but that was something that was kind of like bold and interesting about them as part of their mythos before that. Um, since then they've abandoned that. They released a live album, which I actually kind of like live at nine 30. And, um, it's kind of a mixture of new and old songs. And <laughs> so in the past few years, if you see them, they play, um, you know, they play a couple hits. Uh, they, you know, just are touring their record like all normal bands. But there was something very exciting about this myth, like, oh my God, they don't play anything that they have written yet. You know, like once the record's recorded, they throw it all out and they just start <laughs> new. You know, like there was something cool and experimental about that. Um and they were genuinely very experimental. I think part of the fun of Animal Collective, that's another thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, to me, what I liked about Animal Collective is they would have these pure pop 
moments, something like grass that is so thrilling, but you got to wade through a bunch of like experimental shit to get there. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not the easiest listening, but when the big, big moments come, they like really hit, um, Meriwether, they kind of done away with all that. It's the first time really where, um, it's just kind of like the pop explosion after pop explosion after pop explosion. I, I think that's a little bit tiring, but okay. So Maybe you're getting at some kind of pretentiousness. I think you also mentioned that nothing in 2010 sounded like Animal Collective that much. Maybe that's not exactly true. I was thinking like Beach House's Teen Dream is kind of the similar vibe and stuff. That's um, fair. But, yeah. but this is the uh, beginning. I mean, 2010 is when we talked about it last week. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy comes out and changes the music landscape toward poptimism, right? Um, and to be fair... Uh, this Meriwether came out at the very beginning of 2009 and, um, you know, fantasy came out, I guess, toward the end of 2010. So it was more like a two year gap, but, um, very quickly, just like what happened with the Cures Disintegration, music changed radically. Uh, indie was out. Um, uh, do you think, and it, it's similar to, uh, to Disintegration in the sense that it seems to sum up its era, but the era ended immediately after, you know what I'm saying, Dan? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's is that like just really unlucky? kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's really sort of the, you know, end of the book. Um, And yeah, I guess that is just, is it is it like bad luck? Or is it that like your album is so good that nobody else wants to try that anymore? You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like it could could almost be either one Uh, more more so with disintegration, I'll say. But um, yeah, I don't know that that is kind of shit luck. Yeah, see, I, I think it's like poptimism starts, and there, there's another dimension to this. I don't know how much time we want to spend on it, but we we talked a lot about it last week. How poptimism has a, um, you know, an element of it, which is you know, it's it's explicitly anti indie rock for a lot of reasons, um, and a lot of those reasons are cultural, social, um, in the sense of indie rock and rock in general is. A bunch of like fratty white boys um and they're kind of pretentious these uh you know these uh white boys in animal collective with their uh tribal drums appropriating african rhythms you know and um and you know that it's you know rock criticism for the past forever has been about celebrating like you know these white musicians and stuff and we got to bring in new voices who listen to other stuff and so it's it's like what i'm trying to ask is is it just the normal backlash of, oh, musical styles changed? Or is this like a bigger backlash of Animal Collective is the figurehead, the face of indie, the whitest genre that ever existed, you know, and now we got to tear it down? <laughs> no, I think somebody like Vampire Weekend's a, a bit whiter than they, Animal they, Collective. They're a good uh, candidate. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there was, there's definitely a level of pretentiousness in Animal Collective, and also being a fan of Animal Collective. I mean, sure, you know, there were not many people in my life then or now that I would feel like, yeah, I'm gonna put on, you know, an Animal Collective record, and we're gonna, we're gonna be able to listen to it together, like an entire record. Like it just, you know, just doesn't work because there's just so many like weird elements to it stuff that i personally love but i just think like you know for instance you guys know i have a family so these past two weeks has has been me sort of experimenting with like all right i'm gonna put some animal collective on and see how (laughs) the wife and kids pick up on it and you know if they if they had anything to say 
it was like, you know, why is he screaming? You know, why is he just, it's just a repeated scream. You know what I mean? What's yeah. going on? You know what I mean? Um, so, I, and I think that is part of the reason why, you know, the album was like well accepted at first, but then you go one album behind that and an album after that. And you don't you don't find what what was what was once there you know this this one record exists by itself for a band that is known for not being this accessible you know what i mean like they are and they intentionally are not accessible so yeah i mean it's hard it's hard for just one record in a band's a band's discography to somehow carry them all the way through for a decade when they've made a career out of but, you yeah. know, making you know yeah. fringe music, but, you know, in terms of pop, like they, they're on the fringe. You know, they are not MGMT. They're not Vampire Weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that, and that's kind of the transition. I mean, we, we didn't really mention it, but Animal Collective basically became the face of Pitchfork throughout their duration as a band. They became, you know, the new Radiohead, which was Pitchfork gave every single thing that they released a higher and higher score until this album, Merryweather, got a nine point six. Um, and you know they all but declared it the greatest album of the decade and um i think they even gave they gave my girl's song of the year this year as well this album album of the year um they really made it their band so then when and that was when pitchwork was a fringe music website an alternative music website um so when things switched into we celebrate mainstream music now um you know not only do you got to kind of get rid of animal collective but you got to you got to kind of disavow that whole distance yourself from that whole ethos. Um, and like I said, I do think there are some, um, sort of racial components to that, that, um, it just gives you a bad taste in your mouth. It gives you the, Oh, that's when like every music critic was white and all they wrote about was their favorite white rock bands. And so this is a particularly vicious backlash. Um, will they recover? Will they Will we ever look back at Animal Collective fondly, you know, as a as a culture here? I mean, I th- I think yeah, I I think that's similar to the question before. You know, I I think it has the potential to be like disintegration and stuff. Where looking, you know, it, it gets old, but then looking back, you can see the goodness. I, I think like people will look at Meriwether as sort of the the last good thing. Um, you know, Centipede Hurts was pretty bad. Painting with is god awful i never listened to uh that (laughs) tangerine reef or whatever um you know so i i don't know i i I don't think they'll ever make a comeback in making another record that sets the world on fire but i i think looking back yeah i think i think meriwether eventually will kind of regain maybe not all of its status but at least a good bit of it um and i think things like feels um kind of still holds it in in that like real kind of you know, I, I like underground kind of way. You know, I, yeah. I think it's looked as as like a, a still a good record. I just think we're not alone in having that kind of bad taste in our mouth about Animal Collective as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we could just talk about it for a second. We've kind of touched on it numerous times, but um, it sounds like a lot of us revisited some of their past work uh, as well these past two weeks. And you know, I gotta say, I was I was really really impressed. I think I said it earlier, but I was really really impressed just as a whole. And I just I feel confident now that eventually we will look back on Animal Collective finally as really one of the defining acts of their era. I mean, that's a, that's a ten year run 
where they transform from really out there like freak folk you know campfire shaman thing going on um and they evolve pretty gracefully into you know it's indie it's fringe but they sound like the biggest most important band in the world on meriwether um that 10-year run once we get a little more distance i think is going to be you know it's going to be like as impressive as i mean how many bands for 10 years grow and evolve with every album and stay that consistently good yeah i mean that's that's a short list for sure yeah yeah i you know i agree i i still think overall i don't look at animal collective as a whole as fondly as i once did um i think there's an opportunity in the future to look back on them and you know i can imagine dan sort of mentioned this but like future generations sort of discovering them in the same way that we did like as just a a gem you know something that just you had never heard in you know 2030 or whatever it may be and something you hadn't even known about when you were exploring past music and when you find animal collective i think that you will be you know your mind will probably be blown the very first time you you come uh, come across it just like ours were but yeah, uh, you know, there's just something that's not like as tra- transcendent about their catalog as, you know, like Radiohead. I mean, Radiohead, a bunch of white guys, but like you don't really think of them that way. They are something beyond all of that. And they transcend, you know, like race and culture and all this sort of thing. Like, I mean, OK Computer, <laughs> 1997, it, who cares? Like it's it's an album. It's a timeless record you know what i mean and i don't know i don't know if animal collective has something like that you know another weird thing i'm just thinking of is that you know animal collective the one thing that makes them sound so dated as well is that they are so apolitical and today music like is all political it's not going to be popular or critically acclaimed unless it's you know political in all the right ways right um animal collective just has nothing political to say at all and i think some people you know, some critics of this era would be sort of turned off by that because that's really important to them, the politics of music. And they would say, well, that's, you know, the ultimate white privilege to just like be able to write a bunch of albums about dancing or about around a fire and pretending to be children, you know. Um, But there is something, you know, a little bit timeless about that, that I think will age really well, that um, they, they, I don't know, their mission statement as a band is just kind of like, wonder and terror and imagination and um that's that's never gonna get old i don't think well can we talk i mean what do you guys think though you know here's a question right you you have a a hit record in 2009 you're you are animal collective right you know what are what's the next step you know i i feel like you know that next step could have lasting impact on their legacy and that next step would in reality what ended up happening was something like centipede hurts yeah which i think was a massive misstep and then basically everything after that was just a move in a totally different direction like should they have stuck with the merriweather type of formula or pushed even closer into like pop or something i mean what, what would you guys have done if you you know looking back like if you wanted to try to change the legacy and make them a band that's that people don't have you know that are fond of no matter what right 
Yeah, that that's a tough spot for them because especially like their whole career, basically, you know, they're sort of changing and morphing between records. And then they hit with this record who it, that is like a, um, you know, basically a crossover um, hit in, into the, you know, normal yeah. world. It's like, you know, what, what do you do next? Because you're, you're going to, no matter what you do, you're going to alienate somebody. If you just make Meriwether Part 2, you're going to alienate your, you know, old fans who, who like the experimentation and like the, the um, shaping, you know, shift shaping be- between records. But if you do that, you're going to alienate, you know, your newfound, you know, pop fans. So you're really in like a, a, you know, between a rock and a hard place. It's really tough. And I think that that's been the downfall of a lot of bands. And, you know, I I think as much as I dislike Centipede Hurts, I'm glad that they at least like didn't fall in the trap of just making Meriwether Part 2, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's something about Centipede Hurts is just feels a little ordinary. I mean, mm-hmm. the there's something about Meriwether that's that that like they're pretty simple pop songs, but it has this transcendent quality. And then it's like the bubble is burst on Centipede Hurts where you're like, oh, they're just they just write like kind of little pop songs and they put noise noises on them, you know, um, which I think <laughs> is a, an overstatement. But, you know, I. I my opinion, my you know, if they should have called me because the best thing you can do <laughs> when you're when you're backed up against the wall and you can't possibly live up to the hype is put out like the most challenging, difficult double album that That's you know people idea. will argue about for you know decades about like whether it's brilliant or it's a complete disaster. Um, you do that, and then you take so much heat off yourself. Then you can actually like make whatever record you want to make. You know, after that because gonna it's gonna cool down the hype a little bit they'll be like i don't know you know some people will be like they're the greatest and other people will be like they've totally lost it and you can just kind of do whatever you want but that's what i would have told them okay that's smart <laughs> we, uh, that, that's, that's actually really good all right we got to get to this we've been kind of dancing around it but pitchfork published a pretty interesting article for the anniversary the 10th anniversary called animal collective's merryweather post pavilion was radical enough to redefine indie music why didn't it written by uh, larry fitzmaurice if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And yes, I recognize the irony of bringing up Pitchfork after we spent our entire last episode shitting on them. We've already done that a couple of times. But, you know, to be honest, the article was interesting. Um, It had a lot of interesting sort of background information, I think. But it didn't seem to me to really answer the central question, which I think we should discuss a little bit more. Um, And we kind of have a little bit. But, you know, do you agree that Meriwether didn't have much of an influence on indie and popular music? And, you know... Why or why not? Yeah, I think I think we sort of touched on it before. It, it Meriwether sort of seems like the bookend of that uh, that uh, era of music. You know, it is the sort of disintegration where it's sort of the end of it. But the other thing is, is I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what the beginning of it is because Meriwether is like pretty different. Like I can't think of another record that sounds, uh, you know, exactly like uh, Meriwether or anything. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe the weirdness is what keeps it from um, influencing so you know a lot because maybe just other people don't want to do that or don't think that way or don't want to think that way or or something else. I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's it's a tough question. I think that that's why the article spends so much time kind of like building up to something, but then <laughs> yeah. not really able to answer the question you know it it mentions a couple of other albums that came out that same year by grizzly bear and uh, dirty projectors um and then kind of 
it seems to suggest that like that that was basically it and uh you know music seemed to have moved on um you know but but did it i mean you know music popular music or indie music kind of started to blend in to the to the mainstream right with like electro pop right i mean that's kind yeah, of we what... talked about that last week how indie really did just collide with the mainstream like the mainstream is kind of indie now mm-hmm. right and i mean is uh, that's what merryweather is at yeah. the heart i mean it's certainly an important step in that direction for sure and also you know if you were in a if you're in like a band or something uh, around this time you know if you're in in high school or something um you know you saw a lot of bands local bands just ripping off animal collective you know i think about like uh before animal collective local rock bands no no loop pedals no looper pedals (laughs) Um, after you could not start a band without a bunch of loop pedals i mean (laughs) you had to be like looping like blippy fluttery noises over everything you just like write a normal rock song and it's just like all right is gonna be going over you know like it, it was like Oh, you know, we got to have some maracas. Like we got it because Animal Collective like plays crazy percussion instruments. I mean, I I don't know if it affected the mainstream that much, but there's a whole world. I mean, I remember seeing some dude play some local show and he was like he looked like Panda Bear and sounded like Panda <laughs> Bear and was just, you know, kind of doing on his laptop like kind of mixing like uh, you know, it was like proto vaporwave or something just like weird samples and just sort of like moaning of you know poor imitation of brian wilson over the top the whole time and you know it it it, and i think me and you darren we were making music at the time Mm -hmm. we did a bunch of ripping off of animal collective i mean yeah absolutely the song that that starts this podcast was (laughs) like me deliberately saying to myself i'm going to attempt to write an animal collective (laughs) rip them off completely and then i'm gonna throw some like neutral milk hotel style uh, horns <laughs> over it and that'll be it i mean that was and then you know there were there was experimenting in um like if you remember gabe like you know we would take a drum set and say you know what let's just play with like two toms you know what i mean because like animal collective will just be real tribal yeah. and stuff like that's just what we were going to do we're not going to use like your hi-hat and your snares or anything like that <laughs> yeah you know? yeah that was like a huge thing maybe it didn't maybe like the next big mainstream bands didn't do that and because all music journalists around that time just decided to only cover like top 40 billboard radio from then on um you didn't notice but i think there was a whole world in the local and underground scene that was like radically transformed by animal collective and i think about stuff like you know isn't like fleet foxes and bony bear just kind of like um starbucks version of animal collective like the the beach boys harmonies and uh you know kind of like interesting arrangements you know like a little bit of like weird you know like how every time av tear sings on merriweather he's got like some weird effect on his voice or something it's almost like a vocoder and then bon Iver's like what if i just bought a vocoder you know that would be perfect you know i i really feel like it did affect stuff it's just within a couple of years everything had changed no, I, I agree. I think I think Boney Vare, Fleet Fox, that whole sort of, uh, and it was sort of centered around 2010-ish, uh, like the, that uh, folk, you know, st- Starbucks uh, folk thing uh, really <laughs> yeah. did take off. And yeah, I never really, you know, until you brought that up, I never really thought that that is like pretty watered down version of Animal Collective. I know, I know. And the other thing I wanted to mention um, that I, I forgot to mention earlier, I wanted to see if you got any of this, Dan, but... You know, re-listening to these albums 
was really fun this week because you know I, I was so young when they came out and now I have like a much better uh, musical you know vocabulary and you know I'm realizing stuff like like wow this sounds a lot like you know gas like Wolfgang Voigt mm-hmm. like this kind of ambient <laughs> techno I mean there's like stuff in um in these tracks it's like basically electronic music something like banshee beat or fireworks or something is like a techno song but played on instruments and i'm thinking like okay it's not maybe it's not tribal drums you know that's what we all used to say oh they just beat on the tom but it's like you know panda bear has an actual um he talks often about his love of electronic and techno music and it's like what do three kids in a garage in baltimore you know, they want to make techno music, but they don't have any equipment. Like, do the bass drum with the tom, you know, just hit it. And then we'll, like, somebody else will play the hi-hat part. You know, it's almost like I never really recognized that. I never really recognized, like, the Arthur Russell vibes on, you know, especially something like um, Spirit They've Gone and stuff mm-hmm. has, like, the, the real kind of weirdness to it. Um, I was thinking also of, like, Person Pitch is just, like, early Steve Reich, you know, with, like, the come out to show, you know, like, the looped vocal samples that are phasing in and out of each other and stuff i mean i was kind of like impressed that like they are uh they were a genuinely fearless experimental band coming up yeah i i agree i i i've thought about a lot too you know um i think one of the things like when this record first came out it like really blew my mind because i um a lot of the sounds i just like you know, I didn't know how you could make that. So, you know, like I knew yeah. it was a synthesizer, but yeah, yeah, you know, that's all I knew. And like now, I know more about that stuff. You know, I have messed with synthesizers and all, and it was a lot. You know, a lot more of the sounds I could figure out what they were doing. You know, and like like I understood it better. Um, and that like uh, I think that that sort of took back like the like it's a little peek behind the screen you know a little bit like you know you know sometimes yeah, you know you may yeah. see how uh, a magic trick's done it's it's not as it's not as uh, grand anymore or you yeah, know how sure, how a stunt sure. in a movie or something you know I got a little bit of that um, listening it, but I think they were I mean they were really courageous at their time because another thing about Meriwether is that. They were the first indie rock band to say, we're not going to use guitars anymore. And now nobody uses guitars. Yeah. Um, That was actually pretty forward thinking and cool. And, you know, they, you think like, you think of them as this kind of like early animal collective as this like kind of freak folk campfire thing. But even from the start, they were very interested in strange electronic sounds. They saw no, you know, it's not like they were like, oh, we got to get back to the woods. Like we got to like capture nature or whatever, (laughs) you know, they were like any sound they thought was cool like weird glitchy stuff um it was and i think a lot of that comes from that like electronic influence i never really appreciated before but they were a little uh there i think they were just more fearless uh than i than i really even recognized at the time and really um really really creative and uh you know i think we're we're running low on time we should talk about final thoughts but i think my final thought is you know god bless animal collective they were really really a really great band you speak of them as if like they're just finished <laughs> well yeah we won't talk about what came after uh after Mary Weather, but, you know. they were the best of all time at the time though is what i'll say oh nice Kanye. um <laughs> yeah i i agree you know i i sort of had a little bit of like what darren said where you, where i got where if you had asked me if i liked animal collective i'd i'd probably say nah not anymore um but i was a little wrong i think i think that they are better than I gave them credit for. Um, looking back, especially the older stuff, uh, you know, I, I really 
Feels has probably always been my favorite um, Animal Collective record, uh, but I haven't listened to that in a long time. Um, and you know, going back to it, I, I appreciated it a, a lot, and I appreciated Meriwether. Um, so I think as a whole that they definitely, um, yeah, you know, it was a little wrong. And anytime I've shit on them in the last uh, seven, <laughs> eight years. Yeah, you know, I, I think I I might owe them an apology, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I. Uh, said some pretty mean things and was kind of like they're you know they're really bad and they've aged you know terribly um largely because i just you know i just departed from them and just did not come back to those records like at all and i you know there's probably a million reasons why that that is but you know we gave i gave them a full two weeks of my attention and they really won me back over you know i remembered why i loved them back then um i remember why i was so inspired to write music like them um that same type of inspiration came surging back in after listening to to the earlier records and listening to this one and you know i you know you mentioned it gabe like brother sport alone just makes you want to like listen to the album over and over again in fact brother sport makes me Mm -hmm. want to like I put Brother Sport on repeat a couple times. Like I just wanted to hear that song over and over <laughs> again because it was just such a it was such a great song and oh. I don't even remember loving it this much back in 2009, which I think says something. That's important for a record that when you come back to it, you discover something new or you fall in love with a different part of the album that, you know, and you know, maybe in 2009 I would probably have said Line in a Coma is, you know, definitely my favorite, but like now I I still feel that way, but Brother Sport kind of came out of nowhere and really really stuck with me i think through this this time so you know in general i i I think animal collective is definitely worth the attention of somebody who has never listened to them absolutely like they are a band that everyone who cares about music should should explore you know what i mean Yeah, yeah um if you're somebody who like us listened to them 10 years ago and may may have abandoned them because of like recent records and whatnot definitely worth going back because those records are way better than you um, may be remembering. Well said. Well, well, that being said, are any of us going to add the add animal collective, you know, back into our rotations or are is, in 10 more years? Are we going to say, man, you know, I haven't listened to animal collective in, in <laughs> 10 years. All right. Two straight weeks of it. I need, I need a little break. Yeah. To be we'll honest. come back for the 20th. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, I think that's enough for this week. So uh, what did you think? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and maybe we'll read those on the air. You can email us. The email is popshieldpod at gmail.com. Next episode in two weeks, we're going to uh, make a classic Weezer album out of tracks from their bad albums. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, wait. that sounds like an insurmountable so task. But uh, if, you, <laughs> if, if you like the show, help us out by subscribing and leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that junk. It's Pop Shield Pod, and we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. Peace. So long. Peace.